The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I am your host, Gail McDowell. I am the Executive Minister and Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister, and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the Founder. Christ Universal Temple is actually celebrating its 64th anniversary. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman founded this powerful ministry in October of 1956, and you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people—not tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people—have been uh, impacted and lives transformed because of her. Yes, and now the ongoing yes, not only of her team and her era, but now under uh, Reverend Wells and his team. So we just want to just. For all the people who are listening, who are connected to CUT one way or another, and if you listen to this podcast, you're connected to Christ Universal Temple in one way or another. We just want to thank you for your consciousness, for your support, and uh, your consciousness for what it means to do what we need to do. All right, so we're in the midst of a series titled The Magic of Thinking Big. The Magic of Thinking Big, and it is based upon the book of the same title by David J. Schwartz, and I consider this book a classic. I used to teach it in the Johnny Coleman Institute, and I was like, you know what? I need to bring this book to Truth Transforms and let people get the impact of studying the book. My request, however, is that you get the book and you read along with it. Just don't rely on me, as, you know, and I know I'm good, but don't just rely on me because I want you to be able to listen to the show, read the book, and do your own prayer work and let the inner teacher, the spirit within you, guide you into your next steps. So just want to make sure that you know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it, and you discover that by tapping into the presence and power of God that already resides within you. So today we're on chapter two, chapter two, and chapter two is cure yourself of excusitis, the failure disease. So obviously the author made up a word, excusitis, to explain how 
making excuses is actually the failure disease. In other words, if you don't want results, then you will figure out how to make an excuse. If the results are too hard, you will make an excuse. You can want a thing and not want it enough and make excuses for it. And the thing about excuses that's funny to me is this. Everybody makes them. I think we've been conditioned by society to make excuses. And that doesn't mean that there are never breakdowns in life. There are never reasons. But excuses tend to show up over and over again to... Uh, help us, for lack of terms, lie to ourselves so we don't have to really hold ourselves accountable for what we say we're going to do. So it's better just to have a really good excuse. Again, I'm not saying that people don't have health challenges. I'm not saying that they're not family breakdowns. I'm not saying they're not temporary things that happen in life. They do. However, if most people are honest, that's not what's really keeping them back. It's the mindset. The mindset is keeping people back. All right? So, the book starts off on page 25 by saying, people as you think people as you think yourself to success, that's what you will study, people. You will study people very carefully to discover then apply success rewarding principles to your life and you'll want to begin right away so one of the things he's saying is one of the ways in which you study success is by studying people why because success leaves clues so when you want to see what makes a situation or circumstance work you have to study success study success you know when you know, and I, you know, and I'm not going to jump into this too heavily, but when the, the last dance from ESPN came out and it was talking about the Michael Jordan era with the Chicago Bulls. And of course, I'm a gigantic Michael Jordan fan because he's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. However, it showed a part to where he realized that he needed to start lifting weights and getting a little bigger he was always you know thinner and explosive but he needed to be stronger and explosive to be able to put up with what the NBA was allowing teams to do to him especially the the Detroit Pistons with the physicality knocking him down and clotheslines and you know grabbing him out of the air and elbows and you know hits to the neck and face and all the different type of stuff that the Detroit Pistons used to do to him he got stronger but there was a time when NBA players, especially players that were considered quick and explosive, did not believe in lifting weights. They thought that it would stop your success. However, once Michael Jordan started to do it and people started realizing that it works, not only did he do it and Scottie Pippen and some of the other players on the Bulls, it became a thing around the NBA. People realized, look, you can get stronger without messing up your game. Well, it's the same thing. You might have a belief in your head that something doesn't work, but you need to study success and see what people are actually doing and then model things that work. Don't model stuff that don't work. You know, sometimes we'll look at a situation, a circumstance to see, okay, well, this has a one in 50 chance of working, 
versus a 1 in 20 chance of working. Now, now 1 in 20 is still not great odds, but it's way better than 1 in 50. And then you start to study the things that work. As Bruce Lee would say, uh, absorb what is useful. Reject what is useless. They get that. Absorb what is useful. Reject what is useless. So back to the book. He says on page 25, go deeply into your study of people and you will discover unsuccessful people suffer a mind-deadening thought disease. We call this disease excusitis. Every failure has this disease in its advanced form. And most average persons have at least a mild case of it. So when you see somebody whose life really isn't working, you sit down and talk to them. Most of the time, you're excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. Now, here's the thing. When you stop and ask them, or you, or yourself, okay, I understand what I can't do, and I don't believe that necessarily, but let's just play with it for a moment. What can you do? See, just that one question changes the dynamic. Okay, I get that. What can you do? Well, I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. Are you sure? Is there nothing you can do? Because when you ask the question, what can you do? Even if it's minute. And a person can't come up with an answer that lets you know that they are really caught up in the story. In the excuse. You know, a person like, for instance, like a Nelson Mandela or Malcolm X and so many other people who, while in prison, trained and developed their minds to the point to where they could get out of prison and, in the case of Nelson Mandela, actually run a country. Not that he wasn't sharp before he went in, but he prepared himself to be able to become the president of the country that put him in prison for 27 years. What's the excuse? What can you do? Well, I can't walk a full block. Can you walk 100 feet back and forth? Well, I can't, you know, I can't read long periods of time. Well, can you read five minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time? Well, I have a problem meditating. I can't sit still. I go to sleep. Okay, can you meditate for two minutes? For just two minutes? I can't get up early, okay, uh, hour early. Well, okay, can you get up 10 minutes earlier? Just 10 minutes? So after a while, you just have to ask yourself or ask someone else, well, what can you do? Just to see how far down the rabbit hole of excuses really go. What can you do? What can you do? Because when... And, you know, you might say, okay, well, I can't figure out how to do this. Because here's the thing. If you are open to what can I do, it opens up a new world of possibility. And if you're not open, it shows you very plainly, very clearly that you or someone else is stuck in the story. Stuck in the story. You know, some people will 
put them themselves and their families in situations to where if they lose their job, for instance, uh, won't swallow their pride and say, look, if, if it means I got to go to KFC and put powder on chicken, I'm going to have some money to be able to take care of my family. Like for real, I'm not knocking anybody that works for KFC. My sister used to work for KFC when she was younger back in the day. Uh, uh, my point is this. You got to start to think in different ways if you want to make things happen and you can't get stuck in the excuse. Moving on. So. It goes on to say. You will find that the more successful the individual, the less inclined he is to make excuses. That's a very powerful point. The more successful the individual, the less inclined he or she is to make excuses. So if if I'm allowing success to be my space mentally, I'm not living in excuses. It's about results. It's about results. Because here's the thing about excuses. You can want a thing and have an excuse for it. Now, what if you want 10 things and you have excuses for it? So you got 10 things that are a quarter done or a half done or a third done or three-fourths done. And nothing ever gets complete. You realize how much mental energy that is pulling from you? To have all of these uh, pots on the stove. And no dish is complete. It takes a lot of attention to pay attention to a lot of half done or quarter done things. He goes on to say on page 25, but the fellow who is going nowhere and has no plans for getting anywhere always has a book full of reasons to explain why. Persons with meaty Ochre accomplishments are quick to explain why they have it, why they don't, why they can't, and why they aren't. Well, how come you don't make more money? Well, blah, 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 blah. But well, didn't you say you wanted to do this and accomplish that? Yeah, but da, 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 da. Didn't you say you were going to get that report to me by Thursday at 3 o'clock and it's Friday at 2 o'clock? What's going on? Well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, here's the thing. When there's a breakdown, when you can't deliver on your word, you need to be able to rectify that by, first of all, communicating as soon as you possibly can when you know for whatever reason you can't communicate it and then get an agreement about how soon, as quick as possible, you can make up that commitment. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But that's not living in an excuse. You know, if you're driving somewhere and your car tire goes flat and you need to be somewhere at 10 o'clock and it's 9.45 and you're a 10-minute drive away, you need to pick up the phone and say, hey, my car just got a flat. I'll be there X, Y, Z time. That's accountability. What people do is they just show up when they want to show up, do what they want to do when they want to do it, don't hold themselves accountable, don't make timelines, and then they have excuses about why life doesn't work. Moving on. So in the book, 
on page 26, I love this point. He said, like any disease, the skewcitis gets worse if it isn't treated properly. So the more you allow yourself to have excuses, the worse it gets. You start to swim in excuses. So he gives what he calls the, the four most common forms of excusitis. I'm going to add a fifth one. But the first one is, page 27, but my health isn't good. All right? And this isn't discounting any pain or any situation that most people are going through. All right? But we have to be mindful that excusitis is about mindset, not your physicality. It's about mindset. And there are people who, like with the Special Olympics, love to see it because these are people who have legitimate physical challenges, what some people would call physical handicaps even. And yet they run, they jump, they throw, they do whatever because they haven't allowed their mindset to be altered. It's having that unstoppable mindset that I'm going to do it. Now, does it mean that it's easy? No, but it's not easy with with uh, when your physicality is what the doctors would say pristine. Because it's the mind. Everything begins in the mind. He goes on to say that my physicians and surgeon friends tell me that the perfect physical specimen of adult life is non-existence. In other words, people are dealing with stuff. And you got to still be able to go forward. You got to take care of the self-care. You got to do what you got to do. But don't allow health to be be the reason why you stop you know uh i was a was and am a big chadwick bozeman fan and you know obviously he recently made his transition and people didn't know that he filmed the movie black panther the avengers endgame uh along with uh avengers infinity war uh 21 bridges uh, the Spike Lee movie and a couple of other movies, all while fighting stage three and stage four cancer. And it blew people away, it shocked people. And, you know, in an African American community, it was exceptionally shocking because he was our superhero. But he did all of that while fighting cancer at a high, at, at stage three and stage four, most of the time stage four. Mindset. Mindset. He could have said, you know what? Look what happened to me. Uh, I don't deserve this. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a good person or whatever, and just laid down, and we wouldn't have the legacy of these movies that he left with us while he was fighting. What can you do? What legacy can you leave while you're going through what you're going through? What example can you show or give to the world to to give people an opportunity to model something as high as I'm going through something that most of the world would say is exceptionally challenging, yet I'm still going forward. So page 28, he talks about um, 
a book that uses a term called emotionally induced illness. And he says, imagine three out of four people who are sick right now will be well if they learned how to handle their emotions. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. In other words, stress, anger, anxiety, depression, and the things we do to our bodies because of those things, the alcohol abuse, the drug abuse, the cigarette abuse, uh, you know, the food abuse, you know, and other things that potentially harm ourselves because we're not necessarily taking care of our mental health. You know, we don't go see an expert if we need to go see a psychologist or a mental health professional. Uh, We don't necessarily have our spiritual practices where we have our prayer and our meditation or visualization together. We're not doing the things we need to do with study and contemplation of higher spiritual principles to help our thinking processes stay pristine. We're not doing the work we need to do to make sure that our mental health is together. So we either affect ourselves through our mental uh, thought processes affecting the cells of our bodies, or we allow our mentality to allow ourselves to become lax in taking care of our body. And we take either we do things to our body or put them in it to cope or because we just don't care. We just don't care. We become resigned to whatever it is. So what difference does it make? All right. All right. Then he says, what are the four things you can do to lick health excusitis? Number one, refuse to talk about your health. Now, I've said this on the show a few times that years ago I went to visit a friend of mine's wife and, you know, while I was there, she was picking up the phone off and on, off and on, off and on, because people kept calling her, asking her to explain what was going on. And she was giving everybody a play by play. And I just said to her very frankly, um, I would suggest that you talk about what's going on with your body, with the people that matter. Maybe, you know, like your husband or your mama, I get that, and your physician. They need to know what's going on, like step by step. I said, but if if you explain every detail to another person, every time they call, every time they visit, uh, you're impressing it deeply into your subconscious mind. I said, so when people call you and ask you what's going on, just say, hey, I'm working on my health. Pray for my health. Point blank. Because she was just reinforcing it in her own mind. And then you got to get, again, the subconscious mind is like a tape recorder. Reverend Coleman used to tell us that all the time. And it will play back to you what you put on it. Number two, refuse to worry about your health. Now, again, just like Chadwick Boseman, it it was what it was. And he decided, okay, I'm going to take constructive action to do what I can do while I can do it. Because worry is not going to change it. Uh, If you can worry, you can pray. If you can worry, you can meditate. If you can worry, you can read. If you can worry, you can do something. All right, number three, be genuinely grateful that your health is as good as it is. In other words, even if something is in pain, find something to praise about your health. Thank you, God, for this heart that beats. 
this, you know, what however many times a minute. Thank you, God, for these lungs. Thank you, God, for whatever digestive system. Thank you, God, for these eyes, ears, whatever. Just thank God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. What are you doing? As you praise, you raise. As you praise, you lift up the consciousness of a thing. Number four, remind yourself often, it's better to wear out than to rust out. Life is yours to enjoy. Don't waste it. Don't pass up living by thinking yourself into a hospital bed. In other words, wear wear yourself out. Don't rust out. Don't just sit here and don't have any accomplishments. You know, sometimes, you know, in the ministry business, you sit down and, you know, you have to officiate these funerals and you look at these obituaries and you say, okay, what has this person accomplished in life? And sometimes you can tell people are literally struggling to find out anything that they really accomplished in life. They weren't good parents. They weren't necessarily uh, uh, good workers, employees. They weren't employing anybody. Um, you know, they had nothing where they gave service, where they gave back or anything. You're like, okay, they just, you know, sometimes just wearing out, rusting out, and sometimes being trifling until they rust out. Give back to life. Make sure that your life matters. Give it, make sure you show up as a form of impact to make the world better than how you found it. Number two, but you got to have brains to succeed. That's the uh, that's the second excuse-itis. All right. And he says two things. One, we underestimate our own brain power. Number two, we overestimate the other fellas or other woman's brain power. That's real key. That's real key. Um, so he goes on to say, what really matters is not how much intelligence you have, but how you use what you do have. How do you use your mind? He said, he wrote, the thinking that guides your intelligence is much more important than how much intelligence you may have. In other words, how well do you use what you have? And I love it because sometimes you'll see a situation where you say, well, this person is exceptionally smart. How come they haven't made it? Because you can, they might be information smart. They have a lot of data, but they don't have a lot of application in applying what they know. You know, you know, some people are book smart and street dumb. And what I mean by that is, you know, you know, they can, you know, they can go on Jeopardy and be a champion, but can't make their lives work. Some people are book smart and street dumb. So it's not necessary uh, to think that you always have to ha be in a situation where uh, you have to turn into Einstein to be successful. But you do have to utilize what you have and what you know really well. So I believe it's time to take this break. Uh, yep, there goes the music. So we're going to take this quick break. And we'll be right back with Truth Transforms. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm in the midst of the series, The Magic of Thinking Big. Before we get back to the book, though, let me give my brief commercial. Uh, first of all, Christ Universal Temple is live streaming its service, or it's a live stream only service, from 10.30 a.m. until noon on Central Time every Sunday. So make sure you check out our live stream. You can find it at uh, CU Temple on YouTube, CU and the Word Temple together, on, which is our YouTube page, or on the Christ Universal Temple Facebook page. This show, Truth Transforms, has a Facebook page. So my request is that you like the page, that you write a positive review, and that you give it a five-star rating. It helps with the algorithms. It's also the quickest way to get in contact with me if you're trying to get in contact with me. Uh, Instagram, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. So you can look up that just under Galen McDowell. On my Facebook page, it's more personal, regular Facebook page. So if you're on Facebook, connect to the Truth Transforms page. Um, I do noonday lessons on the Christ Universal Temple Facebook page. I normally do them twice a week, but you can take a look. Um, normally, I do them on Wednesdays or Fridays, but if you go back on the Christ Universal Temple Facebook page and just go through, you'll see that Monday through Friday, uh, we give a lesson at noon central time based upon the noonday, uh, based upon the daily inspiration for better living periodical. So you want to make sure you get those lessons and continue to get that boost. I'm actually doing uh, a new day lesson today at 12 noon central time. Also, I have a seminar coming up on October 24th at 12 p.m. It'll be on our YouTube page and on our Facebook page, meaning our, meaning Christ Universal Temples. The name of the seminar is Ask and Receive. So you want to make sure that you let people know about it. Finally, uh, if you listen to this show on one of the podcast apps like, you know, Apple, Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, make sure that you give the podcast a five star rating and a positive review. It helps with the algorithms. It helps get it in front of other people. I really believe that this uh podcast these episodes are life transforming not because of of galen mcdowell but because of the collective consciousness that pulls out of me through spirit what is necessary to help people do what they need to do so it's not an ego thing it's a help people thing so as you spread the word make sure that you do what you can do to support this podcast and help us spread it around the world because it does make a difference. You know, if you've been support, if something has supported you, if something has helped you along the way, then I'm a big believer that the law of giving and receiving says that you give to that, which helps you that supports you, that helps you do what you need to be able to do. So I want to make sure I leave that there. All right, let's get back to the book. We're at the second, um, excuse us uh, with the chapter two cure yourself of excusitis the failure disease and it says but you have but you've got to have brains to succeed so i already addressed that and then he talks about something on page 33 that i think about a lot he says stickability is 95 percent of ability so sometimes it's just okay 
let me work with this long enough to where I could become proficient at it. You know, as a martial artist, one of the things that I discovered really early on is that some people have what I would call natural talent for it, and some people really don't. However, even the people who really don't can get to the place of, of a level of proficiency uh, or I would say a better than average skill set because they they just stick with it. People expect to show up like Bruce Lee after one month. They expect to kick like Jean-Claude Van Damme after three months. They expect to throw people like Steven Seagal after six months. That's not how it works. It's just not. You know, if if you want to develop the skill, you got to stick to it. This is why the educational system, the academic educational system builds. You know, you start learning simple words like three-letter words, pig, cat, dog, jet, bat, and then you build your vocabulary from there. You wouldn't you know, you wouldn't stick Shakespeare in front of a first grade student. It's stickability. So as you stay on it, you can grow and evolve the information. You can grow and evolve your skill set to be able to function at a higher level. So you start off with one plus one equals two. And then later on in life, you're doing trigonometry. But it's based upon the same principles at different levels. All right. Okay. Now, he gets into a lot of stuff in the chapters about why brilliant people are failures and things of that nature. I'm not, because of time, I'm not going to get into all of that. That's why you read the book. One of the things he does say on page 37, though, however, is knowledge is power when it is used constructively. Then he he wrote, rather, knowledge is only potential power potential power. It's only power when it's put to use and then only when the use is made of it is constructive. All right? You got to be mindful of it. Because some people fill their heads with a lot of information that's not usable. Again, they can win the Jeopardy but don't necessarily win in life. And he uses the example of of Henry Ford saying, you know, I don't need to put all this information in my brain when I can just hire somebody to know it. All right. Then he talks about uh, the ways to cure intelligence excusitis. Number one, never underestimate your own intelligence and never overestimate the intelligence of others. Don't sell yourself short. Concentrate on your assets. In other words, Develop your skills, develop your abilities, what you're good at, enhance, enhance, okay? It does make a difference. But if you focus on what the next person is doing instead of how you can get better, what you can develop, your skills, your talents, your abilities, your gifts, then you're competing. Uh, It's sort of like saying you're, you're a giraffe trying to compete with an eagle in a contest for flying. You could be really good at being a giraffe and very poor at being an eagle. And I just want to just put that out there because I do think it makes a difference. 
uh, okay, so the other thing is this. Uh, he says, remind yourself several times daily. My attitudes are more important than my intelligence. I love that. What type of attitude are you carrying into life? What type of attitude? It makes a difference. Because if you come into a thing with a poor attitude, with skill, talent, intelligence, and ability, you will still figure out a way to sabotage what it is that you're doing. Even when you're qualified, even when you have the skill set, even when you're excellent, a poor attitude will make people not want to deal with you, not want to help you, and try to get away from you. And a poor attitude will stop you from trying even though you have the skill set to do it. All right, number three, remember that the ability to think is much of much greater value than the ability to memorize facts. Use your mind to create and develop ideas, to find new and better ways to do things. That's how you cure intelligence excusitis. All right, the next excuse is, it's no use, I'm too old or too young. Now, this one is really, really serious. Age excusitis, the failure disease of never being the right age, comes in two easily identifiable forms. The I'm too old variety and the I'm too young brand. All right. Now, am I saying that age can never be a factor in a thing? I'm not saying that. Absolutely. You know, it's a reason why you don't see 75-year-old NBA players. I get that. I get that. Um, you know, there are some things that when you physically can't do it, it's better to sit down and not do it. However, 99% of the time, that's not the reason for age excusitis. It's just a mindset that we use to stop us from doing what we have the skills and talents to do. So whether it's I'm too young or I'm too old, you have to ask yourself, okay, well, I'm too old to do that. Well, if you keep living, how old will you be then? Well, I'm too young to do that. Well, how does that work? You know, I can remember, you know, being a a, a young guy working in um, management in the grocery business. So when I got my first managerial gig, I had 78 direct employees as 25. And indirectly, because I had to do the, the 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 budget and input the schedules and several other things that I won't get into right now as far as that affected the other managers and the, and the two managers or three managers that were above me, uh, which was the store manager, the co-manager, and the assistant manager. I was the customer service manager. Um, because I handled the, I was responsible for the money. And uh, other things that I already mentioned and vacation times and things of that nature, that meant I had to really work with a store of about 150, 160 employees that would come in and out of the store seven days a week. And I had to wrap my brain around, you know, everybody here that's in charge is much older than me. All the managers were much older. And then many of the employees could have been my parent or in some cases a grandparent and there were times when I had to bump into that issue 
And guess what? I decided I wasn't going to cower to it. I was good at what I did. I knew what I was doing. And I needed to go forward. I can remember being that same age, teaching my first class in the Johnny Coleman Institute. And at that time, you know, the church was, you know, probably 4,000 regular attendees uh, over the course, you know, people who show up to church more than once a week, I mean, once a month, two to three times a month, easily about 1,000 people in class. I show up and I got 20 something people in a class and I'm 25 and people are just looking at me like, what can this young guy teach me? But here's what I knew that nobody was going to out prepare me. And what I meant by that was I was going to be more prepared than everybody else walking in. Nobody was going to out study me, outwork me, be more prepared than me. So when I show up, they might not like my age, but they're going to respect my game. They're going to respect the fact that I show up right. And eventually th- that conversation went away. But it was there initially because I was so much younger than everybody else. There was nobody even in my stratosphere of age for the first three to four years I was teaching. Yeah, yeah, I think it was the first, yeah, the first four years I was teaching. Nobody was even in the stratosphere of my age. And that was interesting, being the only person in my 20s and potentially even in my 30s, in their 30s at the time, who was teaching a class. But you can't allow that to be an excuse. You know, uh, you know uh, back in the day, our comptro- former comptroller, who's retired now, uh, he used to get up and he used to walk around the building every day, all 32 acres of the Christ Universal Temple campus, every day for, for lunch. Rain, snow, 100-degree weather, he was out there walking. No excuses. And he wasn't a puppy when he was doing it. But he still got up and he still did it every day, no matter what. And to this day, I, I often joke with him. I was like, you know, you know, he's exceptionally healthy, and I'm sure he could probably outwalk me right now. Uh, works out at twice a day, walks several miles every day to this day. And I'm not going to uh, say, you know, uh, anything else about that. But I do want us to just be mindful that we just can't allow it to be an excuse. So the book goes into a lot of great detail about too old too young so it gives um, a couple of ways to address the age thing look at your present age positively wherever it is just look at it positively the positives to being older and younger however wherever age you are at right now is just right Number two, compute how much productive time you have left. He says, remember, a person age 30 has 80% of his productive life left. And a 50-year-old still has 40%, the best 40% of his opportunities left. Life is actually longer than most people think. Number three, invest future time in doing what you really want to do. So maximize the time that you have, regardless if it's, if, if your life expectancy, however, whatever that you think that might be, stretch it out. 
If you think you're in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, or fourth quarter of life, maximize it. Fourth uh, excuse, but my case is different. I attract bad luck. He wrote, and I love this, what we call an accident is the result of a human or mechanical failure or a combination of both. He was talking about traffic accidents and things of that nature. And then he, he dropped the bomb. There's a cause for everything. Nothing happens without a cause. All right. So what he's saying is some people who say they have bad luck don't want to admit that they're the common denominator in their lives. If you think you have bad luck, that means that you consistently think things don't go right for you. That means that there's something wrong. And I, when I say wrong, I don't mean judgment. I mean wrong as far as results are concerned. Something wrong with the thinking that makes you think that something outside of you is the reason why you're consistently not getting the results you desire. It's not bad luck unless you want to call luck living under correct knowledge. So if you're not living under correct knowledge, then of course you can put yourself in a position to where it seems as though you have bad luck. Now here's the thing. Consciousness is what we are. Life is consciousness. Consciousness is who you are. Consciousness is what I am. That means what I radiate, because consciousness uh, is awareness, and awareness part of awareness is thinking, and thinking is mental impulse and vibration, which means what I radiate I attract. What I radiate, I attract. So some people think they have bad luck because it's what they are attracting based upon their radiation. So when they have the negative, uh, resigned thinking, and that's what's radiating from them, then they will attract back to them situations, circumstances, and people that will validate what they really believe at a deep sub conscious level and sometimes it's very conscious not even subconscious it's subconscious and very conscious so they think they have bad luck and it's really poor choices they think they have bad luck it's really the law of attraction working back on them giving them back to them what their dominant thought processes are what they really truly believe all right then there's a, so he says, how do you conquer luck excusitis? Well, the first one I just taught, accept the law of cause and effect, which I already just taught. That there are cause and effect, that you will, that mind is causative. Everything begins in the mind and effects are what you get back, what you attract back or what you produce or generate from it. You can't. Think any kind of way and expect to get positive and healthy results. Number two, don't be a wishful thinker. He wrote, don't waste your mental muscles dreaming of an effortless way to win success. We don't become successful simply through luck. Success comes from doing those things and mastering those principles that produce success. Don't count on luck for promotions, victories, the good things in life. Luck simply isn't designed to deliver these good things. Instead, just concentrate on developing those qualities in yourself that will make you a winner. Stop being a wishful thinker. You know, you know, everybody's waiting for that luck of the draw or that lottery ticket. Yes, sometimes you can you can win the lottery. If you know, I'm not gonna turn down any lottery money if I win it. However, if that's the plan, then, you know, you base it some things on some luck. 
luck of the draw. Instead of development of consciousness, being the person who by right of consciousness must manifest the desired good. Remember, as Reverend Coleman used to say, I am the thinker that thinks the thought that makes the thing. Be mindful of it. So, I'm going to give, actually I was going to give one more excuse, but I'm going to give two. The next excuse, fifth excuse is fear. Sometimes we're just afraid and we just don't want to admit it. The things we want in life, the things we want to do in life, the things we want to have in life, we're just afraid for various reasons. Sometimes fear is, okay, you don't want to lose what you potentially have gained. I get that. I'm not saying that, that you should be reckless with your life. But don't allow fear to dominate your conversation, the inner conversation that's going on in your mind. Sometimes fear is you don't want to be embarrassed. Sometimes fear is you don't want to be judged. But let me just tell you, if you want to be really successful in life, you got to put your skill set to the world and it will be judged. You got to get over it. If you're an entrepreneur and you got a product, that product will be judged. If you're an athlete, your performance will be judged. If you own a business or you're an employee, your performance, your work will be judged. It's going to be judged anyway. So you might as well play to win. And not allow fear to determine what you can do and what you can't do. Sometimes we have beliefs that have conditioned us to believe that we're not worthy or we're not enough. That's all based on fear. So you got to let that conversation go. You are worthy. But you create the worthiness in mind and then action. You got to think that you're worthy so you can take worthy actions to do what you need to do. I really want you to be mindful of that. It looks like we have a caller. Oh, wait a minute. No, we don't have a caller. Okay, I thought we had a caller for a second. I was like, man, this is right up to the last minute. Then we have the time excuse. Well, I don't have time. The time excuse will really get you if you're not careful. Um, especially now. You know, I, I said this. Uh, to someone last year that I'm really glad that I learned metaphysics before there was a such thing as a cell phone and internet and especially social media. Why? Because you can pop on your phone really quickly to check one thing on social media or your email or your whatever and you can get lost. And, you know, it used to be a time where when you went to work, you went to work. And when you got home, you were home. And there was no on-demand. If you missed your show, you missed your show. There was no streaming. You can't watch eight shows in a row. There's so many distractions right now. And then we say there's no time. But how much time is spent texting, 
checking your social media. How many times, you know, like, you know, I, I must admit, I probably check my emails 50 times a day, and that's no exaggeration. Because I'm like, okay, I don't want to miss anything. Go on my phone, let me check it, let me check, let me check, let me check, let me check. And I'm pulling myself back from that process to after a certain time at night, I don't check them. Uh, or a certain time after a certain time at night, I don't reply to them. Do I, am I consistent? No. But here's what I do know, that I'm not maximizing time if there are things I want to accomplish. And I say I don't have time because I have a busy life, and ministry is a, is a busy life. It's productive, it's fulfilling, but it's busy. And I'm sure your lives are the same way, productive but busy. And you have to structure and, and, and utilize your time because you don't get time back. So don't make the excuse of that you don't have a time, enough time. Manage your time better and find where you're leaking time. And when I say leaking time, I mean wasting time when you could be doing something more productive. I'm not saying everything has to be about go, 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 go. Yes, relax your brain. Watch the TV show. Watch the movie. Go on YouTube. Do stuff that just allow your brain to, to decompress. But don't do it at the expense of what it is that you really want. And then use the time as an excuse for not having the life you desire. There's more than enough time to do anything you want to do if you're willing to make the sacrifices. I don't know that's a big statement, but I'm saying it for me first and for you secondarily. So next week, we're going to cover the chapter, Build Confidence and Destroy Fear. Therefore, we're going to do what we need to do to think big and produce the results we desire. God bless you, and I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.